What's up, everybody? My name is Tony Hope, and you're listening to the Hear Me Roar podcast, a sports show where I run my mouth about all things sports. And today, I'm back at Georgia State University in room N278, bring y'all another iteration of the Hear Me Roar podcast. I really appreciate all of y'all who listened to the last week's episode about UFC 281. Um... It really warmed my heart to just uh, 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 hear all the feedback that y'all gave me and the criticism, the constructive criticism that y'all um, gave me. I really appreciate y'all listening because, um, you know, this is something that I wanted to do for a long time. Uh, I, I found a way to make an excuse as to not pursue it, but now there is no excuse. And uh, I just really thank y'all for listening and um, just continue to ride with me and rock with me on this journey. Like, you know, we're going to go up. Um, you know, like I said, every week we're going to bring y'all another episode by we, I mean me, <laughs> but today I want to talk to y'all about the Atlanta Falcons and the Atlanta Hawks. Just a couple things have been on my mind. Um, the NFL season, we're nearing the postseason. Uh, we're nearing the playoffs. Uh, the divisional races are becoming a little more tight and we're focusing on them more. And in the NBA, um, it's still very early in a 82 game season, but we're starting to, uh, uh see, which teams are for real and which teams aren't, um, as teams are becoming more comfortable, as teams are finding their rotations, as teams are finding their grooves. Um, I'd like to see, or I'd like to present to y'all what I've seen from the Hawks thus far. So let's get right into it. Um, I want to lead it off by saying that I was born and raised in the city of Atlanta, Georgia. The teams that have had my fandom all my life have been the Atlanta Falcons, the Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Thrashers while they're here. Anything Atlanta, I have been a fan of. But as I've grown as a sports fan, and as, as my knowledge as of, the, uh, uh, of football and basketball specifically has grown, I've come to realize that being a fan of Atlanta sports teams requires having an excessive amount of optimism. Some might call it blind optimism, although I can assure you that we are plenty aware of the likely pitfalls that come with our teams. For example, the event that occurred on February 5th, 2017, I'm not going to name it. I'm not going to name what took place. If you know, you know. But the event that occurred on February 5th, 2017 ingrained in me that no matter how optimistic you may be about your football team, no matter how good that your basketball team may look, no matter how much hope that you have in an Atlanta team, just understand that we are going, we are likely to hit a pothole that rearranges the entire structure, identity, and direction of the team. It, it, it's just bound to happen. It's just bound to happen. Another example. 2015-2016 Hawks, when we made it to the Eastern Conference Finals with the, uh, 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 the, the franchise's best record of all time, I believe it was 56 wins, and guess who we ran into? Kyrie Irving and LeBron James and Kevin Love and the Cleveland Cavaliers, and we got swept. I knew going into that series what was going to happen, but guess what? I still was optimistic that maybe – Maybe this Hawks team that has surprised us this year, maybe this Hawks team that had four All-Stars, maybe this Hawks team that nobody expected to make it this far could possibly get it done. Could we pull off the upset? Of course, the pothole that we hit was LeBron James. But like I said, I'm going to digress before this turns into something else. I've always had this level of optimism when it concerns Atlanta teams. The only exceptions were when we were just clearly garbage like the 2020 Falcons and the 2019-2020 Hawks. Those were just iterations of us where we were just complete garbage. There was no expectation that we had other than maybe we'll win more than one game. <laughs> but this optimism has, 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 has remained at the forefront of my fandom and it remains at the forefront of most Atlanta fans. It, it's, it's like it's a part of it because we haven't been bad enough to where – we just expect abysmal, uh, abysmal performances and abysmal records and just trash, like the Cleveland Browns or the Detroit Lions, right, or the Sacramento Kings. But we haven't been great enough to expect success like the Los Angeles Lakers, the New England Patriots, the Golden State Warriors, 
you know, we aren't spoiled. Like we haven't, we don't have anything where we can, we're, we're in the middle where it's like every season is a case by case basis. So we hope for the best and prepare for the worst. Or we hope for the best, but we just understand that we're probably just going to be a middle-of-the-pack team. It's just what happens. It just comes with being an Atlanta fan. I'm sure any other Atlanta fans that are listening will relate. Like, for example, I was proud of the Atlanta Falcons when we were 4-5 and and held the top spot of the NFC South Division a few weeks ago. Me. Proud of a below 500 record. Four and five. And I was proud of us. Like, wow, we really can make the playoffs. We really could sit up here and, 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 and build on this in the coming seasons. We really can make the playoffs. We could really win a division. Something that we haven't done in a while. That just goes to show the amount of optimism that I have for these teams, the amount of hope that I have for these teams. It's in my name, after all, Tony Hope. I have hope for Atlanta teams. But that optimism started dying slowly ever since the 49ers game on October 16th because we had looked below average at best. You know? We had came off with some some bad losses to the to the um, the Panthers on Thursday Night Football. I don't even want to get into that game. Right, let's just focus on what on on the positives. That optimism started growing again after last Sunday, November twentieth, in Week Eleven, where the Falcons beat the Chicago Bears twenty-seven to twenty-four and broke a two-game losing streak. That puts us firmly at five and six. We're a half a game behind the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the NFC South is still a very winnable division. And I can't say that I'm upset at us for trying to win up to get to the playoffs. Honestly, I know some of us, some some Falcons fans on Twitter, were like, "Why are we trying to win, tank, and let's try to get the highest pick possible?" But I can't blame us for trying to win. I can't blame, you know, as, as the head coach, you don't want to tank. As a fan, you don't want to see your team tank neither. Like, we have, that's a, it's an 18-week-long uh, season. We have to watch that. And I'm not trying to watch a team just lose for 18 weeks. So I can't blame us for winning these games or, 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 or for fighting our hardest, which, makes us, which made me happy to see us beat the Chicago Bears. It was a game that I expected us to lose just because of the dual threat that Justin Fields has become within the last couple of weeks. Um, I expected him to just run all over our defense. But we actually did a pretty good job containing him in comparison to uh, <laughs> uh, previous weeks of him. Uh, we held him to, I believe, hmm, let me see. Let me check the stat. We, be- we held him to 85 rushing yards. Justin Fields in the, in the previous two games played against the Detroit Lions, he had 13 rushing attempts for 147 yards and two touchdowns. And against the Miami Dolphins, he had 15 rushing attempts for 178 yards. We held him to just 85. Um, he averaged 4.7 yards per carry and only one touchdown. So I was proud of us for doing that. We did something that two other teams couldn't. We held Justin Fields to below 100 yards. So we, although we might be below 500, and although that game, just like any other Falcons game, came down right to the wire, we showed some bright spots. Um, um, First and foremost, the brightest spot of them all was Cordero Patterson setting a new NFL record of nine kickoff returns, breaking the three-way tie for first, by passing Josh Cribbs and Leon Washington, who each had eight. It came by way of a 103-yard touchdown return after Justin Fields got his touchdown run um, that I referenced earlier. And I was just very happy to see that happen. I, I, I love when history is made in a positive light by any team that I follow. 
Devin Hester did it uh, uh, years back in the Georgia Dome. And now Cordero Patterson did it again in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I'm just very proud of him, very happy for him. He has been the most reliant star on our team. Um, he has just been beyond uh, 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 beneficial for this team, especially this season. We have been a very run-heavy offense, and for the weeks that he has been active and healthy, he has been the backbone of that run attack. So um, very proud of Cordero Patterson. Congratulations to him. Um, and we're just going to keep building on. Let, 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 let's hope that he can return a couple more this season and just build that record even more. Let's have that record stand for uh, uh, decades after he retires. Let's hope we can get that happen. Um, another thing that I noticed from that game was uh, turnovers put us in some unfavorable situations early. Fumbles. Fumbles, fumbles, fumbles. Avery Williams had one on a uh, punt return in the first quarter. Got knocked free. Um, then Cordero Patterson had one in the second quarter, negating what would have been a 19-yard explosive run by him. I must say, though, that that uh, touchdown return that broke the NFL record of kickoff returns came after Cordero Patterson fumbled it. So, you know can't hold too much against him. I just hope that we can take better care of the ball in upcoming games. We're going to need to. We're going to make the playoffs. Just, you know, against a better offense, the, the the Bears, you know, honestly, they don't have the best offense. Justin Fields is their biggest threat. And most teams aren't scared of Justin Fields' arm. We're scared of uh, uh, just what he can do on his, on his uh, feet. Um, like I said, for the last, you know, before playing Gus, the previous two weeks, he had over 130 rushing yards each. Each game. So, um, you know, that's what I was worried about going to this game. Uh, but, you know, just when you turn the ball over, you're just giving the other team ample opportunity to uh, uh, seize momentum of the game. You know, it's, it's one thing if a game is back and forth. All right, you score, they score. You score, they score. You know what it's going to come down to. It's going to come down to whatever team can get the first stop. And it's also different than if it's a just a mediocre game, period. We've seen plenty of those this year where both teams can't score. The Broncos have been uh, – uh, the Denver Broncos has been a component of those games. They just can't score. So we've seen games where both teams can't score. It's just boring and sloppy affairs. And you just know whatever team makes a mistake first, whichever offense makes a mistake first, whichever defense fails to uh, – uh, uh, Get a stop. It's going to be the team that wins this game. Excuse me. Uh, however, with us, turnovers just gives the other team a chance to capitalize and build momentum, which is something that we have struggled with historically and definitely this year. The Falcons aren't that good at coming back. We're good at letting other teams come back, but once we get down a certain amount, especially with this roster, especially with Marcus Mariota as quarterback, if we get into a deficit, it's just we just find it hard to climb out of it. It has happened, or, you know, there has been situations earlier this year where we have gotten, we've gotten down by a couple of scores, and we would mount a comeback that would get doused by some stupid play or by some bogus call. I'm looking at you, Falcons, Buccaneers, earlier this year. That absolutely bogus roughing the passer call that just completely halted all momentum. But I digress. Turnovers are going to be key for us winning this division. If we keep turning the ball over, other teams are going to capitalize teams with better offenses like we take a look at the Falcons schedule for the rest of this year let's see next week we play the commanders then we play the Steelers then we play the Saints then we play the Ravens Cardinals Buccaneers and that will be our season finale against the Buccaneers on January 8th turnovers are going to be a a big thing of course we of course no team wants to turn the ball over. But with our offense and the way that in our style of play that we play, we're very run heavy. We're going to drain the clock down. We have the number two rushing attack, or we have the number two total yards on offense 
when it comes to our rushing game in the entire league. So we're going to run the ball a lot. Our, 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 our quarterback, Marcus Mariota, can't be trusted to lead drives with his arm because of how unreliable he is with his IQ and his deep ball accuracy and just some of his decision-making. So when we turn the ball over, we're just negating the chance for us to play our style of football. So that was one of my takeaways. I just hope that we just don't, you know, spot the <laughs> defense, the opposing team. Or I'm sorry, yeah. I just hope and pray that we just don't spot the opposing team in favorable position because we throw an interception or because we fumble the ball. Um, but, yeah. Our pass rush got home, though. You know, we're bottom five in total sacks this season. Uh, we only have 17 on a year. Um, and we're also last in the league in total QB pressures and pressure percentage with the measly 47 total QB pressures and a 10.9% pressure percentage. For those who don't know, the QB pressures metric measures the hurries, knockdowns, and sacks that the opposing quarterback experiences per dropback. Um, pressures might not it, – it, it, it's a very important sack – or uh, it's a very important stat because while sacks are very clear – and they're a very concrete measurement on how good your pass rush is. Even if you, even if your pass rush doesn't get to the quarterback and it results in a sack, enough pressure can cause a QB to make some ill-advised decisions. Okay? You might not lead the league in sacks as a team, or you might not have an individual player that leads the league in sacks. That, that just uh, finds a way to get past the offensive linemen and brings down the quarterback with such ease over the course of an 18-week season. However, if your team can pressure the quarterback enough to make bad throws, to uh, uh, evade the pocket, to um, rush passes, you know, you can change the momentum of a game. Some quarterbacks thrive under pressure. You know, it, it just gives them more opportunities to leave the pocket, scramble for yards, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields. However, some quarterbacks are better suited in the pocket when they have plenty of space. Right? Like Tom Brady. When you pressure those type of quarterbacks, there is a chance that you can force them to make errors. Right? When the Falcons like I said, are at the bottom of the league in total QB pressures. We haven't had a press rush in a very long time. Like, it's been a very long time since we've had a player in a pass rush that we can rely on every week to, you know, get to the quarterback and alter the game. However, against the Bears... We racked up four total sacks. We put Justin Fields on his back four times, and we've knocked him down even more in that game. Like, that was such a very physical game for Justin Fields. Like I said, um, he had 18 rushing attempts that game. Some were designed runs, some were scrambles. And he had a total, I believe it was... 21 passing attempts against the Falcons as well. And you could tell that that physicality got to them. On their final drive, where they had a chance to drive down the field and at least tie or take the lead, we were hitting Justin Fields, man. Shout out to Lorenzo Carter. Shout out to Grady Jarrett. Um, they were getting to Justin Fields and put in some fire under that boy. He was slow to get up in their final drive. And the Bears... Play caller still called design runs, even though Justin Fields was clearly exhausted. He was clearly hurting on that final drive when he after he got hit, I believe on a QB, yeah, he he on a QB run. He came down holding his left shoulder. Um, it wasn't his throwing arm, but he came down holding his left shoulder, and you could just tell that he might be. Very good at running. He might be very good at uh, 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 making plays on his feet. Very athletic, very fast quarterback. But we contained him pretty well, and that physicality got to him. So um, shout out to the Atlanta Falcons pass rush for that. 
Uh, we didn't leave that game unscathed, though. Unfortunately, our budding young defensive tackle, Taquan Graham, he was carted off the field after suffering an apparent knee injury. The extent of the injury hasn't been released yet. Hopefully it's nothing too bad, but whenever you see a player get carted off, you just think the worst. Um, let's hope that he's okay. <sighs> Another injury that occurred was to Kyle Pitts. Um, Eddie Jackson uh, lowered his uh, shoulder and just rammed it into Kyle Pitts' knee after he made, a, uh, I believe it was a 19-yard reception over the middle of the field. I'm not saying Eddie Jackson's a dirty player. He didn't do it on purpose. Um, Kyle Pitts is a big boy. You can't tackle that man up top. And with the way that the NFL works now with concussion protocol and helmet-to-helmet hits and wanting to lessen the, the, the likelihood of head injuries, when especially against bigger receivers, you saw this with uh, Rob Gronkowski throughout his career, um, you're going to have to go low. You're going to have to lo- go low against bigger receivers. It's, it's, it's just the nature of the game now, you know? Because um, if you don't go low and you go up high, you know, these boys like Kyle Pitts, he's an athlete. He's very strong, very strong runner, very strong um, when he comes down with the ball. He's going to keep trucking. You're going to have to go low. And that's just it's just a product of the game. Uh, like I said, Eddie Jackson, he didn't do it on purpose. It's just something that, he, that, that you just have to do against bigger guys. You have to go low. It's the only way you're going to tackle him. Um, but Ian Rappaport tweeted earlier today that Kyle Pitts is believed to have suffered a torn MCL that requires surgery. He hasn't been placed on an IR, and Arthur Smith said that he's going to be out for the short term. I'm not sure what the short term is, but it doesn't sound good. Kyle Pitts is probably not going to be able to play for the rest of the season, which is unfortunate because I would have wished to seen him and Desmond Ritter in some sort of regular season action, even though it was very unlikely to occur with us still being in the playoff hunt. Um, let's hope that they both get better, man. There's, these are both young stars, and we're both going to need them for the season coming up or for the rest of the season. We play the Commanders next week, and, you know, we're going to have to activate activate Felipe Franks. But, you know, Kyle Pitts, even though he hasn't been utilized as much as I want him to, he hasn't been used as the number one receiver like he was last year he still is a valuable target. He is someone that Marcus Mariota, if he gets the ball to him, we can kind of sit there and be like, okay, Kyle Pitts is going to come down with this ball. We're, he, he, he is going to catch this ball. He is going to move us up the field when we target him. It's an unfortunate injury. Um, and with those injuries to Taquan Graham and uh, Kyle Pitts, my only hope for the rest of this year is for the Falcons to remain competitive. Um. You know, that's injuries is just really what it is. It's, we're now in the grind season of uh, the NFL. Injuries are going to mean a lot for playoff teams. It can, it's going to make and break a lot of people's seasons, a lot of team seasons. Um, and that's my only hope for the Falcons. Even if we do make the playoffs, you know, we're a mediocre team at best. Let's just keep it real. No matter how much optimism I have and no matter how much hope that I get with every Falcons win, we're a mediocre team at best. We have some good pieces. A.J. Terrell, Drake London's look great. Cordero Patterson, Kyle Pitts, Grady Jarrett, um, uh, uh, Richie Grant, Lorenzo Carter. We've all, we, we, we've had, we have some great pieces, but we're not particularly good at any one thing that makes me say we can at least make it past the wild card if we make the playoffs. For example, we are second in the league in total rushing yards, as I referenced earlier, but we're third to last in total passing yards. Third to last. This has something to do with the play calling. You know, I don't think that our coaching staff particularly trusts um, Marcus Mariota as QB. He's more of a game manager. And after this year, I, I, I can confidently say that Marcus Mariota will not be our starting quarterback, and he shouldn't be the starting quarterback of any team in the league. He is a backup. He needs to be a backup. We we gave him a chance. It hasn't worked out particularly well. The only reason that he is going to remain in the starting lineup is because our playoff hopes are still alive. 
If they weren't, and this is what a lot of Falcons fans have been clamoring for, what are we playing for? This is not my thoughts. These are the thoughts of other Falcons fans that I've seen on Twitter and on 92.9 The Game Radio and on um, um, uh, 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 other people that I've talked to about the Falcons. What are the Falcons playing for? It's obvious that if we make the playoffs, we're not going to be a team that, you know, is going to give any particular team problems. We're not that good at anything. We're not that good of a team, period. We're just a product of the division. And by that, I mean the division sucks this year. It is highly likely that a team that finishes below 500 is going to make the wild card in the NFC South division. The Carolina Panthers are eliminated from contention. The Saints might have gotten a one. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. The Saints might have gotten a win against the LA Rams last week or last Sunday, rather, November 20th. But it is. Their likelihood of making the playoffs is very slim to none. The only two competitors in this division are the Bucks at five and five, and the Falcons at five and six. We're our product of our division. With that being said, we're not going to be able to make any noise. Period. If we don't have a passing game to fall back on, for example. When our run game, which is second in the league in total rushing yards, which is great, it is good to be at the best of something. But when our run game gets neutralized like it did against the Bengals in week seven, we're going to have to fall back on our pass game, which is something we don't have. Marcus Mariota, he doesn't have a deep ball accuracy. Marcus Mariota's IQ is not up there. It is not as uh, uh, it, it, it's not high, honestly. He has made some boneheaded decisions, whether it's not sliding and trying to truck a defensive back, which results in a fumble. And it has happened plenty of times in the beginning of the season. There's a reason why I reference that specific instance, because it just stuck with me, and it happened like in the first couple of weeks in the season. Or if it's like he did against the Carolina Panthers on Thursday Night Football, where he throws a football off of his back that results in an interception, or where he throws a deep ball 40 yards down the field, on the run, into double coverage, that luckily didn't get picked off. Marcus Mariota is just not the guy that we can sit up there and say, damn, our run game has been neutralized. This team know what they, 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 they when they played us, they knew that they were going to have to stop the run, and they stopped the run. So Marcus Mariota, we're going to need you to make something happen. We don't have that. He's not our guy. Plain and simple. Right? There's nothing we can do about it now. We're stuck with him. Arthur Smith, the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, has made it very clear that Marcus Mariota is the starting quarterback. Desmond Ritter is likely not going to be getting any starting reps this year. It's plain and simple. Falcons fans, I hate to tell you, get it out your mind. The only, the only way I can conceive that Desmond Ritter will be seeing the field as a starter would be if we drop like the next four games in a row and it's like the last game of the season, we have nothing to lose. But, like I said, we're still in playoff contention. I'm not particularly upset. We're still in playoff contention. So Desmond Ritter is not going to be getting the the the, the starting nod. And if that and that's okay. That's okay. Okay? So, Falcons fans, what I want to leave y'all with is that. Let's just enjoy what we're watching. It's hard to sometimes. I get it. It's hard to. We always have a heart attack when watching the Falcons play. It's either a heart attack or just straight disappointment. But let's just hope for competitive football out of our squad because that's the most that we're going to get. You know, let's let's hope that we can make the playoffs and ruin some team's uh, day. Let's ruin some fans' uh, hopes. You know, that's all we can hope for because we're not going to go any further, and there's nothing else that we should expect from them but competitive football. We have the pieces in play. Now, for the Atlanta Hawks. There's another example of optimism that I have for this team. As all NBA fans know, and as Atlanta Falcons, or not Atlanta Falcons, and as Atlanta Hawks fans surely know, one of the bigger moves of this, um, of last postseason was the acquisition of DeZante Murray to the Hawks. We traded away a couple, I believe, uh, Gallinari and a couple other uh, picks for DeJounte Murray, something that I wanted and something that I'm glad that we got. And with that acquisition, 
I immediately said that we're a better team than last year. We didn't have ball handlers last year. Trey Young has been the only ball handler on this Hawks team for his entire career. You know, we've had shooters at the two spot, but those shooters weren't particularly adept at handling the ball, putting the ball on the floor, creating shots, attempts for themselves and others. Now we have DeJounte Murray, a walking triple-double, a great defender, great hustle, and he can make he can, he, he, his shots. Like, you know what I'm saying? He, he is also very good offensively. Something that is it, 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 it adds to the Hawks' versatility because when Trey Young sits, and this is what we've been on so far this season, when Trey Young sits, DeJounte's playing. When DeJounte's playing, or when DeJounte's sitting, Trey Young's playing. When we have them both on the floor, that just gives us more opportunities for either or to move off the ball, look for a better shot, or look for good shots. DeJounte Murray knows how to put the ball on the floor and get a bucket when necessary. So I said that our ceiling was about a fourth seed, and our floor was about a sixth seed. I didn't see us make. I didn't see us breaking the top three of the Eastern Conference. I believe that the Seven Sixers, the Bucks, and hmm, who did I say? In the Celtics, that was it. the Celtics, the Bucks, and the Seven Sixers were going to be the top three seeds, and then four through six were going to be somewhere. The Hawks were going to be somewhere in that mix. So far through the season. We're ten and six. We're ten and six. We're tied with the Cleveland Cavaliers, who we play tonight at seven o'clock Monday. Um, and there's just a couple things that I've noticed that you know, some things that I like, some things that I don't. Um, for example, five of our six losses have been against Eastern Conference opponents, and that was the complete opposite of what I expected before the season started. We had like a five-game road uh, road uh, trip. And that was where I thought we were going to drop a majority of our games. But it's been the opposite. We've won against the Western Conference teams. We've won against uh, – uh, 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 we won on the road. We won against Western Conference teams, something that was it has been a complete opposite from last year. Um, but we've lost to a majority Eastern Conference teams. We've lost against the Hornets. We've lost against the Pistons. We've lost against the Raptors. we lost against um, – the Celtics, man, the, and that Celtics loss last Wednesday on ESPN, national television, was just so disappointing to watch. And a reason why we lose these games, six of or five of our six losses being against Eastern Conference teams, and a reason why we've lost six games has, because, it has been because we don't move the ball effectively. We don't move the ball effectively. We're bottom of the league in total touches. And we're bottom of the league in total passes made. However, we are sixth in the league in fast breaks points, so that provides a little context. You know, if we're, we're sixth in the league, top ten in fast break points, so automatically we're not going to be making as many passes because a lot of our points come after a good defensive rebound, after a good defensive stop, after a steal, after a block, after a turnover. Um, But when the, the the times where we do run a set, when we do run a half court set, when we do bring the ball up the court after the uh, uh, after the opposing team scores, we shoot the first look that we see. We don't move the ball enough, point blank. Period. We don't move it enough in an attempt to find a better look. Trey Young has the ball in his hand. Dribble, dribble. You know, say we see what we do. Pick and roll. We, uh, he gets the attention of two. He swings it to the opposite corner. Wide open shot, DeAndre Hunter. Right? That's we we you know statistically that, that's a good look. He's wide open. DeAndre Hunter can hit shots. He's telling him in the pass. DeAndre Hunter's a good shooter, and that's a good find by Trey Young. Good playmaking, right? Okay. He DeAndre Hunter shoots the ball, misses. We're out of position to get second-chance opportunities because that's the only look that we're looking for. We don't slow the game down. It's as if that. It's as if Nate McMillan has adopted Mike D'Antoni's seven-second offense from when he was the coach of the Phoenix Suns. We're just running and gunning. Trey Young has the ball. He finds one person. One person likes their shot. They're wide open. They take it. If they miss it, or if they make it, okay. If they miss it, boom. We don't. We don't. We're 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 fourteenth in offensive rebounding percentage. So it's not like we have two. Our front court gets boards 
at such a high clip that we can take the first look that we see. In my opinion, in my opinion as a basketball fan and as someone who knows the game of basketball, moving the ball is crucial. Because the first look that you see is not always the best look. No matter how open it is. In all honesty, look at look at the Golden State Warriors. Look at their dynasty that they have created. Ball movement has been at the forefront of their success. And it's just the truth of the matter. Stephen Curry is the, is the best off-ball playmaker and off-ball scorer of this generation and arguably of all time. And guess what? They've had the shooters where they can just pass the ball once and they take the first shot that they see, but they still don't. And that's what... That, that's a hallmark of their success, and I feel like the Falcons, not the Falcons, I'm so stuck on the Falcons right now. And I feel like the Hawks should adopt that mentality because we're not going to reach our full potential being bottom of the league and total touches. Everybody needs to have a taste of the ball. Maybe not Clint Capella because Clint Capella is going to be roaming, the, he's going to be around the paint more than outside the perimeter. The ball doesn't need to be in his hand often. But with DeJounte Murray and Trey Young and John Collins and DeAndre Hunter, we need to move the ball to them a little more. The games that we do and everybody gets involved and everybody hits double figures, we look very good. We're a very fun team. We look amazing in those situations. And it's just something that has stuck with me. I don't like when the first shot we take is 16 seconds in the shot clock. You know, it, it, it's, 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 it's just we're just setting ourselves up for failure, honestly. Move the ball around. See if there's a better look. I'm not knocking you taking the first. If you're wide open in a corner, take that shot. But it's not going to that, – that, that doesn't mean it's the best shot we should take. Let's slow the game down a little bit. We already play with a, a, a high pace when it comes to transition offense. So let's keep that pace, but when it's not a fast break, let's slow it down a little bit. Let's run some sets. Let's see if we can get our scorers open. Let's run some sets for Trey Young when he's off the ball and not, especially in the first half, or not in the first half, in the first quarter when Trey and DeJounte are both starting. That, that's, that's the luxury of having another elite ball handler and playmaker in DeJounte Murray. Let's let Trey Young work off the ball. That's the next step in his game. In my opinion, if Trey Young and if Nate McMillan and the Hawks staff can find a way to get Trey Young going off ball, I feel like he will take better shots. I feel like he can find easier looks, and he will throw defenses for a spin. Defenses for a spin. Because, man, we're so used to Trey Young making plays off the ball or making plays with the ball in his hands and off the dribble and driving by uh, 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 defenders to get to the lane and draw fouls. But once he gets, once he's able to move around the ball, when the ball is in the hands of another playmaker, that's when this team and Trey Young will take the next leap. That's what I want from this team. That's been the biggest gripe that I've seen from this team so far because, look, Bottom of the league and total passes made and bottom of the league and total touches is not a good look. It's just plain and simple. Another thing that I've noticed is that our team has a lack of shooters. The Hawks have a lack of shooters. We have people that can hit shots. We have people that can hit threes. DeAndre Hunter, obviously Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, um, Jalen Johnson, Aaron Holiday. Uh, okay, yeah, we see these people. We, they, they can hit shots. But our three-point percentage from last year is down compared – I'm sorry, our three-point percentage from this year is down compared to last year. A reason for this is because Bogdan Bogdanovich is hurt. And there's no timetable on his return. Uh, Nick McMillan has been very quiet on giving us the date that he can return. All we've known is that he's been able to move around in practice. He's been able to – we've seen him sh taking shots – um, um, in the warm-ups before games. Danilo Gallinari is gone. 
Kevin Warder is going red velvet. He's out there in Sacramento balling out. Danilo Gallinari, he tore his ACL over the summer and he 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 got traded to the Spurs and traded in um, the Celtics picked him up. And he heard his he tore his ACL in the summer, so he hasn't played at all, right? But Bogey, Gallo, and Horder were three people that we could that, that that at any given moment could give us a shooting spark that could change the momentum of the game, grow the lead, give us much needed points, give us much needed basket to to stop an opposing team's run, and we don't have that anymore. We have the Holiday Brothers. Justin Holiday and Aaron Holiday. Justin Holiday cannot he, uh, he 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 hasn't been hitting threes. I think he's made less than one three on average per game. Right? Aaron Holiday, I think he's shooting at like a 39% clip. Okay, yeah. But there aren't suitable they aren't suitable replacements, plain and simple. I wish we didn't give up Kevin Horder, and I said this in the offseason. Not on any record because, you know, I was just talking to my friends and talking to myself about it. But I wish we would have kept Kevin Quarter rather than Bogdan Bogdanovich because of this very reason. Bogey isn't the healthiest player. Like, his his body is always – there's always something injured on him. And this is not a knock on him. It's just sometimes it's just bad luck. But Kevin Quarter has historically been more uh, healthy than Bogey. And I wish we would have kept Porter because of that. We're bottom of the league in three-point attempt rate. And that's and, and, and for those who don't know, the three-point attempt rate for every team is out of all of their field goal attempts, how much of those field goal attempts are three-pointers? In the case of the Hawks, out of all of our field goal attempts, 29% are three-point attempts. That's the Lowest in the entire league. The lowest. And we have the shooters. So it's, 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 it's not that we're, we're not even confident in ourselves taking shots. You know? And then not only that, we're also the bottom of the league in three-point percentage. Like, we, 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 we don't have the shooters necessary. We don't have the, 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 the shooters necessary to um that we need honestly plain and simple I lost my train of thought right there um but we're it it is it is it's crazy to think about because we have gifted shooters like Trey Young but Trey Young hasn't even been shooting very well this year actually he's been shooting horrible a career low not only just from the three point line he's been shooting at 31% for three Easily the worst of his career, but he's also been shooting at the lowest of his career, period. 39% field goal percentage. Historically, this is Trey Young's worst year, shooting-wise. However, we're still 10-6. and six. This does not make him any worse of a player, and I'm so sick and tired of hearing these fair-weather Hawks fans proclaiming that we should have kept Luka Doncic after we lost the game. I don't want to hear it. Anymore. Both teams won that trade. This is this is this is off this is off topic and this is an aside, but I feel like I need to address it because every time we lose a game, every time Trey Young doesn't shoot particularly well, and Lucas um, and, and Luca drops a triple double or Luca drops fifty points. Look at Luca Doncic's team. That team is set up just for him to look amazing. That team is not going anywhere. The Atlanta Hawks team, Trey Young fits this team. We've built around Trey Young. Trey Young is a great player, and he's only going to grow from here. We're still early into the season. 16 games. We're 10 and 6 still. I think this is, we're still top five in the Eastern Conference. We've beaten the Milwaukee Bucks twice. So I don't want to hear anything about Trey Young and Luka Doncic, and we should have kept him because this team is going to go further then this team has already gone further than the Mavericks has with Luka Doncic, and this team is going to go further than the Mavericks this year. Trey Young is going to get out of this shooting slump. I am not worried about him as a shooter. He's just going to find his groove. 82 games, folks. We need to calm down. 82 games. These ridiculous assumptions, these ridiculous over exaggerations and these us being dramatic about these players and teams, we need to calm down. Please. 
Yes, Trey's been shooting at a career low this season. I don't expect this to last. Trey Young is that guy. And even when he's been shooting very low this year, he has still found a way to make an impact on the game. Whether his playmaking or driving to the rim, he still is able to get to the line with relative ease. Now, there's sometimes where I do wish he would slow down when he's when he's having an off game and the Hawks are starting to uh, to, to fall, um, to lose momentum, and they're starting to uh, be on the on the wrong side of an opposing team's run. I do wish that sometimes he would slow down, and not just drive to the basket, throw up a layup, and get and hope he get bailed out by a foul call, right? Sometimes I hope he doesn't do that. Or I wish it's that he doesn't. But when he does get to the line, he makes them count. He is still able to have a positive impact on the result of the game, which is all that matters. I don't expect for Trey Young to continue having a shooting slump, period. Okay? Now, with all these negatives that I've listed so far, the Hawks have looked great this year still. DeJounte Murray, I want to give him as much props as I can because he has been a great fit on this team and is a wonderful acquisition. His production has carried over from San Antonio to Atlanta, even though he is now sharing the court with another ball-dominant superstar in Trey Young. He is still averaging. His numbers are still similar to what, he, to what they were in San Antonio. We finally have gotten that second all-star caliber talent that we needed for us to take another step. And as long as everyone stays healthy, particularly Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, I feel like we're going to still make some noise in the playoffs. We're just gonna have to uh 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 we're just gonna have to crack down on the shooting, honestly. But DeJounte Murray as an individual player, he makes shots when we need them most. Plenty of times, late game situations where we're down a couple points, especially against the Pistons a couple weeks ago when we're down a couple points or we need a big shot to stop the momentum and change the momentum of the game or we need him or we need a bucket to, or we need a, 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 a way to stop the game, slow it down. DeJounte Murray has been the guy to make that shot. He's been the guy to get to the foul line. He's been the guy to get the stops. He's been the guy to push the game to overtime. He's been the guy to uh, uh, tie the game up in the fourth quarter. Clutch shots. DeJounte Murray has been that guy. Nothing but praise for him. Trey and John Collins' connection is still amongst the best in the league. How I wish there was a metric that I could find that showed how many assists have been uh, shared between two given players because I am 100% confident that Trey Young and John Collins is at the top. The amount of alley-oops, the amount of pick-and-roll alley-oops that I have seen, the amount of posterizers that John Collins has, 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 has compiled in this season alone is ridiculous. Trey Young and John Collins is a connection I don't want to see be broken up. However, John Collins has been the subject in trade talks as of late with teams like the Suns and Jazz showing interest. Yes, the Hawks opened up preliminary trade discussions with other teams just a couple of days ago. I believe it was uh, November 18th. And I, I, I'm just so sick and tired of us playing these games. Are we going to trade him or are we not? John Collins has shown signs, has shown great signs defensively this year. In the beginning of the season, he was he was having some good offensive production. Recently, it's been tapering off a little bit. But 82 games, I still feel like John Collins can be that third guy for us. Or he can at least be an anchor, someone that we can fall back on. Offensively, the pick and roll. Of course, every team runs the pick and roll, but the Hawks, this is, this is, it's intrinsic in our scheme. It's intrinsic in how we score points. And Trey and John Collins has been such a reliable duo. It has been such a reliable connection. So, you know, you know, even if we traded him to the Suns, for example, okay, who are we going to get back? Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder will fit this team nicely. But is it really an upgrade over John Collins? That's what I'm asking. So, you know, until then, they're just discussions. They're just rumors. I don't care until something is solidified and something actually has some basis. Until then, I'm going to be looking forward into Trey and John Collins and whatever post writer going to do next, whatever alley-oop is going to uh, 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 come by their hands. Because like I said, they have the best two-man connection in the league, plain and simple. 
Another uh thing, another statistic that I noticed from the Hawks is that Trey and DeJounte Murray are both in the top five of total assists. They have a combined 260 assists. Both top five. Now that's interesting because I referenced earlier that we're uh, uh, the bottom in the league of total touches and the bottom league in total passes made. However, we have two league leaders in assists. Now, only if we can find a way to still have those assists, uh, the, 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 the uh, passing production in the form of assists by those two while also getting everyone else more involved in half-court sets. A lot of those assists, especially from Trey Young, come by means of the fast break. But when that fast break doesn't occur, we, like I said, I just want to see us move the ball around a little more. But Trey Young and DeJounte Murray being in the top five of total assists is a great anecdote for uh, 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 how good of playmakers they are and how blessed that we are to have two playmakers like that. Uh, a final thing that I've noticed about the Hawks team is that Clint Capella has been playing great thus far. He's first in the league in total rebounds. He's had multiple 20-rebound uh, uh, games. He's second in total offensive rebounds. Um, and, yeah, like he's just that presence that we need. He's that anchor. Offensively, of course, he's not the most polished. He's never been. But defensively, we need that anchor, and he's our guy. He's going to snag the boards for us. He's good at drawing charges. He's good at uh, uh, snagging down offensive boards when we're in a position to do so. And um, that's all I can ask from him. He's that presence that we need. Uh, my my expectations for this Hawks team, like I said, is mm, it, 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 this is going to be a tough – the league is just – it's so diverse in – the teams that can actually make a run, that I feel like a second-round exit, a tough second-round exit is probably our ceiling this year because we just don't have the shooters right now. If we can, if Bogey can come back, who, who knows when, if Bogey can come back and we can add on another shooter maybe in, a, in, in next season or next season, then I feel like we could be a serious contender. As of right now, I feel like we're a really good team that's going to be uh, give – the Bucks give the Cavaliers, give the Sixers, give um, the Celtics problems. But there's just too many questions that I don't know can be answered um, thus far. Like our, like, just, like I said, our shooting, and then our ability to not let the opposing team get so many three point shots. Those two are the are, are, the, are the most glaring deficiencies of this team. However, I'm a, I, I remain optimistic. Uh, as you can see, that's the theme of this episode, optimism. And I remain optimistic of the Hawks. It's still very early in the season, and I look forward to seeing how we improve. Jalen Johnson, DeAndre Hunter, Onyeka Okongwu, those have been the three players I've been paying attention to the most, and I can't wait to see the growth that we make uh, or, or those three make throughout the season. Um. And I also want to talk about one more thing today before we wrap up this episode. This is not going to be long. But um, I want to talk about Ben Simmons. I want to talk about Ben Simmons and the fact that he returns to Philadelphia this upcoming Tuesday, November 22nd, in his return game against the 76ers. The first time he plays against them since uh, that whole dramatic fall out with them and you know he hasn't played in over a year and in the previous playoffs they they got dropped to us the Atlanta Hawks in the game in a series that I'm very proud of to be a fan watching and in attendance um and I remember last week last Tuesday the TNT crew were talking about circling the net Sixers game because of how you know what we're going to be expecting from him but I'm here to tell you that everybody's going to be paying attention to that game, not because it's on national television, no. Not because we're going to be uh, excited to see uh, uh, the, the, the basketball battles that, we're going to, that, that, that is a possibility between Kevin Durant or what Ben Simmons can bring. We're not watching it for basketball reasons. We're watching it for drama. 
Honestly, let's just keep it plain and simple. We're watching it to see what sort of drama is going to transpire in Philadelphia with this with the with, with, with this hardcore fan base and this very polarizing player. In all honesty, Ben Ben Simmons, he has been having he's been playing well these last couple of games. He had 22 points uh last night against the Grizzlies. Um and then he had uh, 15 points <laughs> against the uh, Trailblazers a couple of days before. Um, it's starting. He's starting to find his groove, maybe. However, it hasn't been consistent thus far. He's only averaging eight points this year, which is just a stark decline in production from a pers- from a player that was formerly an All Star, who was formerly compared to LeBron. But like I said, we're not watching this Philadelphia Sixers-Brooklyn Nets game on Tuesday, November 22nd, because we're so excited to see what Ben Simmons is going to do. We're only watching this game to see the drama that is going to ensue. The the, the, the first comparable scenarios that I thought of were when LeBron returned back to Cleveland after he joined the Heat in 2010. And Kevin Durant, when he returned to Oklahoma City after joining the Golden State Warriors in 2017. The drama was definitely prevalent, and I'd be a liar if I say I wasn't thoroughly entertained by the drama. But at least we got some great performances from both of those games. LeBron dropping 38, 5, and 8 in a victory, in a blowout victory against the Cavaliers. And then KD dropping 35 points, and then Russ having 47, 11, and 8 against his former teammate. And we saw some sparks fly, and the crowd were going crazy calling Kevin Durant cupcake. And then the, the crowd in Cleveland were just going crazy and booing, and it was just it, – it, 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 was, it was crazy. And I expect we're going to hear some of the same from Philadelphia when Ben Simmons get, walks out onto the court. However, like I said, I don't expect – a great performance from Ben Simmons. It's just the honesty of the situation. He's, he's, he's not that guy anymore, in my opinion. Or he's not that guy where I can sit up there and be like, oh, okay, he's going to be that man. Kyrie Irving has returned to basketball operations. He's going to be playing against the 76ers. It will, Ben Simmons' role, be negated in any way. Will his production fall off because Kyrie is back? No, Joel Embiid is not even playing. He's out. So we're not, like, it's going to, this is why I'm saying we're not going to be watching this game for basketball reasons. And it's unfortunate that this is the, this is what it's come down to because this was a game that I was excited for earlier in the season until Ben Simmons started stinking up the bed and it started looking very underwhelming early in the season. I hope I'm proven wrong. I hope that we can see uh, uh, an exciting, dramatic game between those two teams, but I'm just I just don't have hope. I just don't have hope. Tyrese Maxey is out. It's just gonna be hardened for the seven sixers. So like I said, I'm just not, you know, the drama's gonna be there for sure. But Joel Embiid is out, so we're not gonna see Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Um Tyrese Maxey is out, so we're not gonna see what he can do. So it's it's, it's we're just I honestly I'm just going to be watching it to see how the crowd is going to react when Ben Simmons uh, misses a free throw. I just want to react when I just want to see how the crowd is going to react when Ben Simmons walks out onto the court when he's introduced by the PA announcer. I just want to see the crowd reaction when Ben Simmons checks into the game. That that that's all I'm here to see, honestly, bro. Like it's not for basketball reasons. I'm sure many of us can relate. Um, I just wanted to talk about that too because it was just something that stuck on my mind since I heard the TNT crew talk about it last week. Um, but look, man, I'm gonna wrap that episode up. Just want to talk to y'all about some uh, Atlanta sports, um, because I'm I'm sure a lot of my fan base are Atlanta fans. If you're not, maybe you learned a little bit about it. You know, I'm not going to be just talking about the Falcons and the Hawks. Um, I'm just gonna talk about whatever comes across my mind. Maybe next week we'll talk about another NFL team or NBA team and just what I've seen so far. Um, anything that goes on in the sports world. Uh, and yeah, that's going to wrap up episode two of the Hear Me Roar podcast. Be on the lookout for this episode. 
Let me know your thoughts, comments, criticism. You can hear this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, anywhere you get your podcast from. Follow me on my social media at uh, at two tone six underscore sixty nine on Instagram. That's at the let, the number two T O N E underscore six nine on Instagram, and it's the exact same format for Twitter at two tone underscore sixty nine. Let me know what you think. I'm glad y'all could join me for this episode. This episode going on for an hour long. Yo, let me go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, I'll see y'all next week. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Be safe, and I'll catch y'all next time.